0: To move into my life, make himself at home in my life, similar to how we make ourselves at home in our houses, our homes, our apartments, or townhomes, and it's based on the idea. The premise is based on a sermon that was given about 70 years ago, in 1951, I think, is when it was first given by a man named Robert Boyd Munger, Presbyterian minister. And uh, I'm going to start this morning, he he just basically, this little booklet that you can grab out on the info wall if you want, Uh, there's there's different covers, this is the one we have, is sort of that sermon that became popular enough that they put it into print and slightly edited, obviously, he probably didn't have all the ahs and ums that I'll have this morning printed into the book. Here's, this, here's how the study starts. We're looking at the study, which is really the room of our minds, our thoughts, what we think about, what we take into our minds. That's what it represents. The first room we looked at together was the study, the library. Let us call it the study of the mind. Now, in my home, this room is a small room with thick walls. But it's an important room. In a sense, it's the control room of the house. He entered with me and looked around at the books in the bookcase, the magazines on the table, the pictures on the walls. This is Jesus walking through with him. As I followed his gaze, I became uncomfortable. Strangely enough, I had not felt bad about this room before. But now that he was here with me, looking at these things, I was embarrassed. There were some books on the shelves that his eyes were too pure to look at. On the table were a few magazines that a Christian has no business reading. As for the pictures on the walls, the imaginations and thoughts of my mind, my mind, hopefully only have one mind, some of these were shameful. Red-faced, I turned to him and I said, Master, I know this room really needs to be cleaned up and made over. Will you help me shape it up and change it to the way it ought to be? Certainly, he said, I'm glad to help you. I've come to handle things just like this. First of all, take all the material you are reading and viewing which are not good, true, pure, and helpful, and throw them out. You'll remember that list because it's in the passage I'm going to preach on this morning. Now, put on the empty shelves the books of the Bible. Fill the library with the scriptures and meditate on them day and night. As for the pictures on the wall, you will have difficulty controlling those images. But I have something that will help. He gave me a full size portrait of himself. Hang this centrally, he said, on the wall of the mind. I did. And I have discovered through the years that when my thoughts are centered on Christ, the awareness of his presence, purity, and power causes wrong and impure thoughts to back away. So he has helped me to bring my thoughts under his control. But the struggle remains. If you have difficulty with this little room of the mind, let me encourage you to bring Christ there. Pack it full with the word of God. Study it. Meditate on it and keep clearly before you the presence of the Lord Jesus. Today, most of us don't keep a library in the house. Does anybody actually have a room that's called and functions as the library? A couple of you do. Um, It's not very common. It was common one day. You might have an office. You might have a place with a bunch of books like we do. But oftentimes, you know, you and I carry a library in our pocket, probably with more access to more information than any library that you might put up in your house. It's interesting that we carry a library around with us. As we think about what we allow to enter our minds, really what we're talking about is books, but it's also other sources of information or thought. What we look at on the Internet, what we read wherever it is, electronic or physical media. It would include that, the entertainment that we enjoy, the music that we listen to, the movies that we watch, really the entirety of anything that might enter into our minds, which is almost all day long running, isn't it? One thing that I've become more and more fascinated by over the years is brain science called neuroscience. It's probably one of those areas of study in the scientific world that has, they're literally learning brand new things constantly. Now, I know a lot of science is that way, but this particular area I have found to be really fascinating. One of the findings that neuroscience has discovered and is confirming more and more through research is that thoughts precede emotions and actions. It wasn't always thought to be that way. It was sometimes thought, you maybe even experienced, feeling like my feelings are causing certain thoughts, which lead me to actions. Now, they can go both ways. But oftentimes, we have a thought that elicits an emotion that leads to an action. Thoughts, it's being discovered more and more, can impact actually what happens organically in your brain. So, there's things called neurotransmitters, basically different hormones, and your thoughts affect the release or not of those neurotransmitters. So, there's ones that make you feel good and ones that make you feel that happen when you feel stressed. Cortisol is a stress hormone, for instance. And so, actually, what we think about, what we choose to think about, can impact our mood and our feelings and even on an organic level, which is pretty amazing. I love this because it really does just support the truth in the Bible that our thoughts affect the way that we live over and over. that We'll see that in the Scriptures uh, over and over and over again. Um, sometimes those neurotransmitters uh, both having them get released and having them get received, there's problems, like organic problems. There's not enough of a certain one, and, and your brain can get hijacked. Like when you have a panic attack, what you're actually experiencing, your brain is usually experiencing, is that you're, ha- you're getting flooded with the wrong kind of hormone that's making you feel like you are about to die. But you're not about to die. And sometimes thoughts, changing your thought patterns can help that. Sometimes it actually doesn't. Away and you need more help, like, I need to get my brain chemicals stabilized, which is the area of psychiatry. One thing that I have, uh, what I appreciate about neuroscience is this. It's a lie that old dogs can't learn new tricks. Sorry. If you're using that excuse, that's all it is. Sorry. I'm getting close to feeling like an old dog. Some of you will laugh at that for one reason or the other. But I'm thankful that every brain, no matter how old it is, has the ability to learn new tricks, new thoughts that can affect really how our brain functions on an organic level. I love that. That's so hope-filled. I have felt stuck at times in my life in this way. I don't feel like I actually I've felt stuck in the last couple of years just recently feel like I'm getting unstuck. And I'm glad that there's hope for that, even if it takes a while to get unstuck. Today, what we're going to look at is whether you... uh, Sometimes people experience something called a mental illness, where it might be related to what's happening organically in their brain, and they might need to take some medicine or something to try to help stabilize that. But really, long-term, what does have to happen is we have to learn how to change the way that we think. Everybody will have to do that, more than likely. And today, that's what I'm going to focus on. Philippians 4, 4 through 9. This is what I believe Philippians 4, 4 through 9 has to say to us today about when we look, think about the mind. And that is that there is a way for us to make Jesus at home in our minds and for Jesus to be at home in our minds. And I think Philippians 4, 4 through 9 has several principles. You can call them action steps, you can call them thought patterns or habits take your pick, that can empower us to make Jesus at home in our minds. Philippians 4, 4 through 9, I'm going to read each verse and then comment on it. Philippians 4, 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. It's there twice for a reason, probably because you and I need to hear it. Honestly, in this passage, this is probably the verse that I have glossed over over most often because it has seemed the least practical, but I want to get real practical for you. If you're inviting a friend over to your house, or actually, let's flip it. Let's say you are invited over to a friend's house. Do you have a friend that you, I mean, if if they're a friend and they invite you over, you're probably looking forward to it, but among your friends, do you have a friend that you're really excited to go over and visit because of how you're greeted when you enter the door. If you have a friend who does a really good job of expressing joy that you're present and coming into their house, probably you'll feel good and be really looking forward to, in particular, going over to that friend's house. This is pretty much what Philippians 4.4 is saying. Take joy in Jesus. Let me say it again. Take joy in Jesus. That's the first practical thought or action you can take. It's emphatically stated twice because we need to hear it. Guys, when we choose to take joy in Jesus, what happens in our minds is something that we're taking joy in the source of all joy. Part of why Jesus came to the planet. Philippians, or I mean, sorry, John fifteen eleven says this. I have told you these things. This is Jesus speaking to his closest friends. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be complete. When we choose to take joy in Jesus, what we're doing is saying, Jesus, I am happy to be here with you, you are actually the source of all joy and your desire is to share the fullness of your joy with me. When's the last time you expressed very simply in talking to God, Jesus, I love you. It's easy to forget. Jesus, I enjoy you. Jesus, I take joy in you. You know, the more times that you say that to yourself, the more likely you are to think it again later. And if you don't say it, the more likely you aren't to think it or say it again later, like all of our thoughts. The New Living Translation of this verse says, Always be full of joy in the Lord. Guys, if Jesus is going to share the fullness of his joy with us, there's really not a reason why we can't, even though we might feel like we can't at times, but there really isn't a reason why we can't be full of the joy of the Lord. Uh, The Phillips translation, J.B. Phillips translated the New Testament, paraphrased um, often parts of it. Uh, He says, Delight yourself in God. Yes, find joy in him at all times. I like that phrase because it says, find joy in him at all times. Not find joy in everything that's happening to you or around you at all times. Find joy in him at all times. That's really how we can have more joy in our lives, is when we're really focused on the source of joy rather than on our experience of it or not. It's when we find joy in Jesus. Okay, verse 5 says this. Rejoice in the Lord always. Say it again. Rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. That's Philippians 4, 5. Let your graciousness be evident to everyone. The Lord is near. Some translations say let your gentleness be evident to everyone. The Lord is near. So first of all, take joy in Jesus. Let me tell you, Jesus will feel like you are welcoming him home in your mind if you choose to do that. He'll feel right at home. And you'll feel more at home with him there. Secondly, remember Jesus' nearness. Now, the reason why I focused on the second half of that verse is because it's really easy to focus on the first half. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. Let me tell you what is pretty impossible is to be gracious to everyone without an understanding that Jesus is close by. You will run out of willpower, friend. Uh, I run out of it almost every day when it comes to this because I really do forget that Jesus is close by. The source of my joy is really nearby. I need to rem- More than I remember, need to remember, be gentle, which I do need to remember. But if I would just remember that the source of joy is right near me, I wouldn't have to work so hard to think about be gentle or be gracious. He's right there. James 5.8 says it this way. It's, James says, Be patient because the Lord is coming back soon. Does anyone not struggle with patience? Anyone want Jesus to be here like yesterday? James 5.8 says, Be patient because the Lord is coming back soon. So this is not a strong suit of mine. I was running an errand with my son Aaron. And I was going to take him to McDonald's to grab breakfast. And McDonald's, most places, doesn't, like, they're closed. You have to go through the drive-thru or do a mobile order, which is fine. It's annoying, but it's fine. I don't like to do that. And uh, so I was busy, and I was like, hey, let's just go across the street to Holiday. We can grab something there. And he just looks at me and goes, Dad, it usually takes, like, five minutes. I just said... I didn't say it, though, but I just acted as though, you're right, son. You're right. And I pulled into the mobile order slot, and he did his order, and we were gone in about six and a half minutes, so he was a little bit off, but it was close enough to count. (laughs) Remembering Jesus' nearness, remembering Jesus' nearness will empower us to be gentle and gracious. Let uh, so first of all, what we, what, if we want Jesus to be at home in our minds, is take joy in Jesus. Secondly, remember Jesus' nearness. Now, now let's look at the next verse. Philippians 4.6. This is a verse that someone out here needs to hear. Maybe someone up here too, but definitely someone out here needs to hear this verse. Philippians 4.6. Don't worry about anything. But in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Now, I hate to break it to you, but when the Bible says not to do something and you do it, you're sinning. You are not living up to God's standard. So I'm just here to say out loud, very clearly, worry is sin. Someone needs to hear that. Not me, but somebody needs to hear that this morning. Uh, however, I'll say this too. Anxiety, don't be anxious about anything, could also be, that's translated here, that can also be sin. But I want to clarify something here. I'm not saying to feel anxious is a sin. It might be that you're anxious because you're sinning. Actually, let me ask this question. Have you ever known that, you've do, that you're doing something wrong You have done something wrong, or you did do, or you're about to do something wrong. Like, you know I'm about to go against what God says I should do. I'm not being gentle, I'm thinking judgmental thoughts, whatever it is. Is there any anxiety going on in the midst of that? Either beforehand, or in the middle of it, or later on? Anxiety about, I know I shouldn't have done that. I wished I would have done it differently. So, I think that's the case for most of us. It's not a sin to be concerned. You know what worry is? It's over-concern. Anxiety is over-concern about something that's okay to be concerned about in general. And you know what? Most sin is over something. Something that isn't necessarily bad. It's just we're overdoing it. Uh, So here's my third practical point, which maybe doesn't... If you're reading the text, in line exactly, but I think you'll see why I worded it this way. Let your sin lead you to pray. Maybe it's worry, but maybe it's not over concern that you struggle with. Maybe it's over earning or over saving money, which is greed. Maybe it's over confidence in yourself. That would be pride or arrogance. Maybe it's overvaluing anything than the truth. That would be lying. Maybe it's over-focusing on sex. That would be lust. Maybe it's over-focusing on uncertainty and danger. That would be fear. If we currently have one of those or we are actively participating in that, it's more than likely that we also have anxiety. And so this worry about that, this verse, don't worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, present your requests to God, I think that can lead us to freedom. Just like in the story of My Heart, Christ's Home, when the man realizes that he's really embarrassed by what Jesus is looking at, what he does is he talks to Jesus. He said, Jesus, will you help me with this? And he wants to do that for all of us. I have a friend who's a pastor, and we were at a prayer gathering with a bunch of other mostly pastors earlier last month and he shared this story he said and actually this really impacted me it really impacted me deeply he said i found freedom from my addiction when i realized i could talk to god in the midst of having just blown it and that he wanted to be with me at what i felt like was my worst moment that he actually enjoyed and delighted in me as much at my worst moments as when I feel the best about myself, that set me free. That was the pathway to freedom from my addiction. I think someone needs to hear that here today. Jesus enjoys us in the midst of our worst moments as much as he enjoys us any other time. The enemy of your souls wants you to feel and get stuck in shame. Jesus says, bring what you might be ashamed of to me and see how you feel when you do. A smile will be in my face. I'll be ready to receive you gently. So my challenge is let sin lead you to pray. That's talking to God. God loves you. He likes you. He is not embarrassed by you or me when we blow it. In fact, Jesus wants us to go to him whether it's worry or any other, over anything sin. Philippians 4.7 says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This week, I did something really dumb. <clears throat> I deleted all of my 2022 sermon work, including this message. And I said, yes, yes, To permanently delete now I like that computers give you warnings like that be careful listen to them usually I do listen I was in the midst of working on another sermon and I was doing some cleanup on my hard drive because it was pretty packed and I had this folder called iCloud Drive archive which is like a copy of what's in my cloud on my computer and I thought I can get rid of this it's all on the cloud Nope, it wasn't all on the cloud. There was some miscommunication between my computer and the cloud, and that had stopped sometime in March or May or something like that. I will tell you that at many points in my life, I would not have been able to obey Philippians 4.6. I will tell you, and I'm, I'm swearing on the truth right here, what I experienced this week was verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I, it really rolled off me. Now, I, I'm not saying I'm always there. I haven't always been there. I'd have a, like a mini panic attack. But this is, I've done this stupid thing like three times in my life. So I've experienced the anxiety that can happen there. But when we choose, to take joy in Jesus, remember Jesus' nearness, and to let our sin, or maybe in this case just foolishness, lead us to prayer, to talk to Jesus. What we will experience, the promise that we can experience is the peace of God. That doesn't make sense. I actually didn't understand it. I was like, I'm in a coffee shop be like, I should be really freaking out right now. But I was just like, maybe I'll find it, maybe I won't. I guess I'll have to rewrite my sermon clickety-click, try to fix it myself, can't do it, call the experts, maybe he can do it, I'm not really sure. It'll be fine. <clears throat> Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Dwell, kind of goes, that's a live in the house. You dwell in a home. Live with these things. Now, this, Paul, I believe on this list, you can leave that verse up there. He could have gone on and on and on if he wanted to. He, he, he's not exhaustive here. It's not like all the good possible things we could dwell on is listed there, but he does something great. He says, if there is anything praiseworthy, that's kind of his And anything else that might be able to be praised by you to God or God to you, any of that, dwell on that. Dwell on that. Study, meditate, read, listen to it, sing about it, journal it, dance to it, share it with others. (laughs) One of my college roommates, actually it was just after college, he decided this was before everyone had a Bible on their phone. We didn't even have phones in our pocket at that point. That's how old I am. Before people had phones in their pockets, at least not everybody. He just decided that he was going to keep a pocket New Testament, which is about the size of this phone, in his pocket, and he would read that every time he went to the bathroom. He would choose to sit down every time he went to the bathroom and read a chapter or a couple of verses out of it. That was just one of his practical ways to say, I'm going to get this in me. Speaking of the Bible, what's true, honorable, noble, that's worthy of respect or holy, just is what's right, what's confirmed by God's word, pure, wholesome, lovely, admirable, brings peace, it's beautiful, it's commendable, it's excellent, any of that, center your mind on that. Center your mind on that. Implant that in your heart. And if you do, Jesus will be there too. He's right there. He's right at home with all of those things. Here's the last verse and the last habit we can develop. Do what you have learned. The first version I memorized this in was put into practice. But do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me and the God of peace will be with you. Now leave that verse up there if you will. I like this because earlier it said, if we choose to take joy in Jesus, if we choose to remember the Lord's nearness, if we choose to go to God in prayer, when we might be prone to worry or be anxious, we'll experience the peace of God, God's peace. Now, if we put what we have heard Paul say into practice, we won't just have God's peace, we'll have the God of peace with us. The person who is the source of peace will be with us. Here's the fifth action point, the habit, is to just practice the previous list with people who do the same. This verse wasn't written to an individual. Actually, if you go back and read verse 1, 2, and 3 of Philippians, he's actually talking to specific names of people in a group, kind of like ours gathered here, a church in a city called Philippi. He was writing to a group of people. And so that's the context for putting it into practice is all of you guys do this stuff. Implication together, and you will experience the God of peace. We got, guys, we need fellow travelers, fellow travelers on this road of, and I like the word practice, put it into practice because it assumes that you're not good. If you're practicing something, or at least that you have some way to grow in these areas, that I can grow in this. We need people to practice with that need to help us. remind. I've needed people to remind me <clears throat> to let my sin tendencies lead me toward God. So what would it look like for Jesus to make himself at home in our minds? What would it look like for us to make Jesus at home in our minds, take joy in Jesus, remember Jesus' nearness, let sin lead you to pray, to talk to Jesus, dwell on what is worthy, and practice with people. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up here. I'm going to introduce this last song slightly. Actually, I'm not going to, but introduce the song, but we're going to sing a song like we usually do. And we're actually encouraged to do that in the scriptures. Colossians 3.16, which I think I have that verse, says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, or dwell richly among you, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. I actually think we can put my entire sermon into practice in the next five minutes. Take joy in Jesus. There's going to be reasons to take joy in him as we sing this song. Remember that he's nearby. <clears throat> Let sin lead you to pray. If you feel like I'm not worthy, what we're going to read is that Jesus says, you're not, but I am, and I can make you worthy. Dwell on what is worthy and practice with other people. We can together do this right now. We can together do put this into practice right now. So let's stand up. We're gonna, I'm going to challenge you to engage your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, which is the great commandment in worshiping God, your heart, your, your emotions, your soul, the spiritual part of you that it's going to last forever, your mind, what you think with, and your body. Sing with your voice. Maybe express yourself with your body. And we're going to sing to God as we close this morning. God, thanks that you want to be at home in every part of our life, including our minds, what we think about, about, what we dwell on, what we allow to be on repeat over and over in our minds. Jesus, we need help. Jesus, I need help. I want you to be at home in my mind. I want to be at home with you there no matter what's going on there. I pray that you would, that we would remember that you're close to us, that you're the source of our joy, that even in our worst moments we can draw near to you and that we would choose to dwell on all those things that are worthy. In your name we pray this. Amen.